A very good morning and a warm welcome to Beckles Baptist Church and this service of ours on our YouTube channel. I'm Tom Fenning and I'm the pastor of this church. I'm going to be leading our service and a little bit later preaching. We've got various other people who will be involved along the way. Uh, we're continuing to meet here on our YouTube channel during August before we then return to meeting in our church building um, come September. September the 6th is our first Sunday back here in the building and we look forward to being able to meet physically but we're grateful that we can meet virtually like this on YouTube and to do so at the same time as one another across Beckles and beyond. If you've never subscribed to our YouTube channel, we would, as we do each week, encourage you to do that to ensure that you are updated when new content is put out um, each and every week. Um, and that will keep you abreast of what is coming up in the days ahead. We're going to begin our service by reading some verses from Romans. We're going to read Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, which we read yesterday in our church daily Bible reading, if you're following along in that. This is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship for us as followers in the Lord Jesus is motivated by God's mercy. Did you see how it started? In view of God's mercy, his immense kindness and grace in his son. But then it takes the shape of our entire lives being handed over to God. That our, our bodies are a living sacrifice handed over to God, holy. And amazingly, our lives as they're handing over to God in his service can be pleasing. We can enjoy the smile of God as we trust in his mercy, as we hand over the entirety of our lives. We know his pleasure and we know deep joy in serving him. And we meet together today really to worship God. That's why we're here and we're going to do that as we begin in prayer. Father, we thank you that the Bible tells us time and time and time again of your amazing mercy towards us. Mercy that is undeserved, mercy that is life-giving, mercy that moves us from being lost to being found, from being damned to being saved. And we thank you for your amazing mercy to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. In response to what you have done, we both trust the Lord Jesus and entrust to him all that we are. We want to give our lives to you and we want to give this next hour to you that you bless and encourage us as we meet around your word, that you would teach us of your son and that you'd help us love him more and more each day. Father, do us good today as we gather as your people. We worship and adore you for your mercy towards us in your son. We pray you'd forgive us our sins and that you deepen our faith through being together today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Down through history, the church has sought to summarise what it is that we believe in creeds. These are statements that churches, when they gathered together, would often state that summarise the core essentials of what it is that we believe. And today, we're going to say together the Apostles' Creed, 
I've asked a number of different people um, to record a few lines of this, um, and I'd encourage you, as they read bits out, that you read it along with them as the words come up on the bottom of the screen. This is a great summary of what it is that we believe. Uh, one little note that might confuse you as we go through. Latterly in the creed, it refers to the church as the Holy Catholic Church. And please don't get confused, the use of the word Catholic there is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. Instead, it's a word that means the uh, church throughout all time and all around the world, the true church that puts their faith in the Lord Jesus alone. So that's what that word Catholic means. But if you're able to, then please do say this creed along with me and the others as they chip in. It begins, I believe in God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Before I hand over to Beth Perrett, our children's worker, for our children's talk, we are going to sing a song that we have sung a number of times in past months. It's called We Are The Church. And in part of the song, it really picks up where the Apostles' Creed left off. It affirms that there is one Saviour, one church, one God. These cores that we core truths of the faith that we share with all those people who've truly put their faith in Jesus. Please do sing along with this if you'd like to, or just reflect on the words as they come up on the screen. Before the world began, God made a master plan to bring all things together under one head. That head is Jesus Christ, who died and rose to life, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. Once we were dead in sin. Safe through faith in Jesus alone. Part of his body now, united by his power, joined with his people of all over the world. We are the church. Have you heard? He washed us clean.
serve each other using gifts from the king. We pray for unity so everyone will see God's plan in action in his people In recent weeks, Beth has been working through the I Am sayings of Jesus from John's Gospel, and today we come to look at the last of these sayings as it's found in John chapter 18. Let me hand over to Beth at this point. Have you ever met anything really scary that made you draw back in fear? If ever I see a spider, I jump back in fear straight away. <gasps> or maybe you're afraid of snakes. If I saw a snake this big, it would definitely make me draw back in fear. Maybe you've got a pet cat and you might have seen them meet another new cat and they draw back in fear, don't they? They stand up on the end and they draw back. Imagine meeting this. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
I would definitely draw back in fear if I saw that. Well, this part of the Bible that we're looking at today is one of my favourite parts because people draw back when they see Jesus. So it's the night before Jesus is going to be killed and Jesus knows that soon he'll be taken and killed on the cross. And at this time he's praying and some soldiers and Pharisees come to arrest Jesus and they say to him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus says, I am he. Now, I am is God's special name for himself. So as Jesus says, I am he, he's revealing that he is God's son, that he is the king and he is in charge. And their response is like if a lion roared at you, like in that video we just saw. They all drew back in fear and they were scared. And then we see even more clearly that Jesus is in charge. He really is God's son. Because he asks them a question. He says, who is it you want? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And he's arrested. And then um, his couple of his friends are arrested too. And he tells the soldiers to let them go. And they do. They do just as Jesus says. And even though Jesus knows that he's going to have a horrible thing happen to him, we see that he is in charge. He is the king, he is God's son, and he allows it to happen because he knew that the outcome would be really good. And that outcome is that we can be friends with God. Jesus must really love us a lot to go through that, don't you think? How great it is to be loved that much, that he would give up his life so that we can be friends with God. Jesus says, I am he. He is God's son. He is the king and he is in charge. Adrian serves as one of our elders, one of the leaders here at our church and I've asked him if he'd lead us in our prayers. He's going to pick up where Beth left off praying in light of what we learn about the Lord Jesus in John 18 and then he's going to lead us in prayer for Holiday Bible Club, for the identity course and for one or two other things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this world that you've made and that you've placed us in it. We thank you for its beauty and for the wonder that we see in it that is a reflection of your glory. And we thank you also for the things that we enjoy that you've given to us. But Father, most of all, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Jesus we see you most clearly. And we thank you that Jesus is the great I Am. We thank you that we see his kindness, his, his care and his compassion for people. And we thank you that through the life, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have forgiveness of our sins and a right relationship with our creator who we can call our heavenly father. And Father, we want to bring some things before you. Uh, we think of this week, our holiday club, and we pray that as the children meet this week on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday online, that they will enjoy its activities, that it will be a good uh, time of fun for them. And we also pray that uh, they will enjoy spending time interacting with each other. But most of all, Father, we pray that you will speak to them and reveal yourself to them through the Bible, through your word. 
We ask that you will help those who are involved in leading this club, that you will help them to, um, in all that they do, that things will run smoothly. We also pray for the online identity course and we pray that that would be useful and helpful for those who are involved in it. We pray that in it they will, uh, that people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And also we bring before you the market stall. We thank you for this opportunity to present the claims of Jesus and we pray that it will be a blessing to the community as people come and have conversations and talk about Jesus who he is and what he has done. We pray that that will be a real benefit and a real blessing to many. And also, Father, we want to bring before you um, this country of ours. We pray for our leaders, that you will help them and give them wisdom in the big decisions and things that are made um, in the coming weeks and months. And we pray that you will help them in all that they do. And also we bring the people of this country before you as well. And during this time, many have experienced difficulties and troubles. For instance, there are people who've lost jobs. There are others who have lost loved ones, family members or friends. There are others who are finding it difficult to cope at the moment. And we pray, Father, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and who reigns forever in heaven, that through him people will find purpose and hope and forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with you. Father, we thank you for what you have done and we thank you most of all for the great I am, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please do pick up a Bible and join me in Psalm 20. We're going to read this psalm together and it's the psalm that I'm going to preach on in a few moments' time. During August, we've been working our way sequentially through the psalms and today we come to Psalm 20. As I said last week, if you, if you struggle to find where the Psalms are in your Bible, basically go midway, open it up, and you'll not be far from it. Psalm 20, and we're going to read the entirety of the Psalm. Psalm 20. For the director of music, a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. Answer us when we call. This is God's word to us this morning. And before we look at it, why don't I lead us in a prayer, pleading that God would help us hear all that he has to say to us about his Son. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you very much for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you that every inch of the Bible speaks to us about him. We pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what Psalm 20 has to teach us about the Lord Jesus, and might that help us learn to trust him and love him and serve him more. Might it also help us pray boldly for Jesus' sake. Amen. Psalm 20 is a psalm to be prayed at a time of national calamity. You should have seen that in verse 1 where it says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. It is a prayer to be prayed at the eve of battle. Now mention of battle and of war will sound like unfamiliar territory for many of us. I doubt that there are many, if any of us, who have been involved in a physical conflict, a war. And yet the Bible makes plain that this is an essential category for us understanding the Christian life. To live following the Lord Jesus is to be engaged in a battle, above all against a spiritual foe. And maybe today you've come and tuned into our service all too well aware that you are in the midst of a battle. Maybe you sense that battle because you are part of a world that is fundamentally broken and you sense that brokenness. Maybe in yourself just sensing your own spiritual fragility and struggles that you're in the midst of. Maybe because of relationship breakdown that just breaks your heart. Maybe the battle is to do with grief having lost a loved one. Or maybe there's uncertainty about your job or your financial security. You sense that you're in the battle there. It's a struggle to trust the Lord Jesus with all of these things raging. Or maybe you just sense the battle has a more spiritual dimension. You particularly sense that Satan is accusing you of things you've done wrong, that temptation is laid before you and you're finding it hard to say no. Well, Whatever the measure or dimension of battle is that you're facing today, may Psalm 20 be a word of grace to you. In your day of trouble, might you find that the Lord answers you? Psalm 20 is instructive for us in learning how to pray. But far more fundamentally, what we're going to see is that Psalm 20 is all about how the prayers prayed here already have been answered in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm is ultimately about him. How do we know that that's the case? Well, because this psalm lists a number of different people. The person who is referred to as he all the way through is the Lord. He's mentioned in verses 2, 3, and 4. The people who are mentioned as we are God's people in verses 5, seven, eight, and nine. And then there's the person of particular concern is who is mentioned with the word you? Who does that refer to? That's hard to answer in English because we don't know whether the you is singular or plural. But the good news is that back in the original, it made plain that it's a singular person. It's a you, not a use. Singular you. And it simply refers to God's king who's referred to in verse 6 as God's anointed one and in verse 9 referred to as God's king and so the title that stands over the sermon this morning over the psalm as a whole is this God save the king 
God save the king. Uh, the, so that's what's alluded to in verse 9 where it says give victory to the king. Or in other versions it says save the king. Now why is it a big deal for God to need to save the king of his people? It's a big deal because down through salvation history and also for you and me today, the fortunes of God's people are intricately bound up with the fortunes of their king. So think back for a moment to the Old Testament. Uh, when you had a really good king who was victorious in battle, what did that mean for God's people? Well, it meant good for God's people. They prospered under such kings. When the king was an absolute loser, wicked spiritually and defeated in battle, what did it spell for God's people? It spelt calamity. The fortunes of God's people are tied up intimately with the fortunes of their king. And all the more for us as we follow the Lord Jesus. Because, well, the Lord Jesus and the Old Testament kings were representatives for God's people. We, we have echoes of this in our culture too. Just think for a moment of the, um, the realm of sport. Last summer you might well have watched the uh, World Athletics Championship. And you might well have watched the 200 metres women's final in which Dina Asher-Smith ran. As she lined up for the race, she lined up to run the race for herself. But also she ran as a representative for Great Britain. And so she was running actually for, for all of us. And so as she crossed the line in first place, winning the gold, she won it for Dina Asher-Smith. But also for Great Britain. The fortunes of Great Britain were tied up with the fortunes of Dina asher Smith. That is just a faint echo of kings in the Bible. And what we're going to find today is fabulous good news, that the prayers prayed for the king of God's people on his eve of battle have been supremely answered in Christ. Let's see why that's the case. We're going to look at this psalm under three headings. First up, rejoice. God has answered these prayers. Rejoice. God has answered these prayers prayers. I've already mentioned that Psalm 20 was written to be a prayer that God's people prayed on the eve of battle. They would pray it over their king and as such they would be praying for the blessings not only to fall on their king but on them as God's people too. But as we look at the petitions, the prayers that are listed here, we've got to be honest that no Old Testament human king could ever say that they've had these prayers supremely and truly answered for them. They just don't cut the mustard. One person's referred to these petitions as being so theologically supercharged that they can only find their fulfilment in God's ultimate Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And that is just utterly true. Think about it for a second as we, as we examine the verses in detail. Uh, if you've never looked in a Bible before, just to say that the big numbers, they refer to the chapters, and the verses, they're referred to by the little numbers. So little number one in Psalm 20, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Remember here that the you is singular, it refers to a king. And so the question we have to ask is this, has God answered this prayer for the Lord Jesus? And we must say, yes, he has. Just think for a moment of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He'd fasted for 40 days and prayed. 
And then Satan came to tempt him. And yet in the midst of that temptation, did God hear the prayers of Jesus? Did he grant to him protection? And when Satan couldn't break him and went away, did God send him help from his sanctuary through his angels? Yes, he did. These prayers have been supremely answered for Jesus. Then verse 3. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Again, we have to ask, has God answered this prayer for the Lord Jesus? And we've got to say, yes, he has. As Jesus laid his life down on the cross, dying there for sinners and for sin, we have to ask, did God accept his sacrifice upon the cross? Gloriously, yes, he did. We know that for sure by the fact that the temple curtain was torn in too, meaning that access to God was now possible. But all the more after Jesus' body had been laid in a tomb, he rose back to life, and that resurrection life that he was granted was proof that God had accepted all his sacrifices, meaning you and me can know forgiveness if we trust in Jesus. Then verses 4 and 5 May he, may the Lord, give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Has God answered the prayers of the Lord Jesus? Yes, he has. So as we think of these verses, has God answered this prayer for the Lord Jesus? We must say yes, he has, because Jesus' prayers are gloriously answered. Prayers that he prayed for Peter, who Satan was on the verge of leading wide astray, yet Jesus prayed for him and Peter stayed the course with Jesus. Now, prayers that Jesus has prayed for us too, that Jesus would keep us from the evil one gloriously answered. And Jesus' plans, they have succeeded as he's gathered a people from every tribe, nation and tongue and brought them into his family. We see that as the church goes out around the world. Final verse, verse 9, where we see this prayer, Lord, give victory to the king, answer us when we call. And we ask again, has God answered this prayer for Jesus? And we must say again, yes, he has. He's granted Jesus victory in raising him from the grave in the resurrection. But all the more supremely, he's granted him victory as he ascended into heaven and is seated now at the right hand of God. In light of this, these truths should make us rejoice that God has answered these prayers for the Lord Jesus. And the reason why we should rejoice is because, remember, the fortunes of God's people, they're bound up with the fortunes of their king. So as Jesus is granted victory... That spells blessing for you and me. That spells hope for the battle and the war that we are in the midst of. And we stand at such an enormous advantage to the people who would have prayed this prayer in the Old Testament. Because we see the answers have already come. We see these prayers gloriously answered in the Lord Jesus, which spells blessing for us. A contrast that with David's day, even with the best king, when they prayed these prayers over him, they would only be partially fulfilled for the king, and then one day that king would die, and a new king would roll into town, and they'd need to pray the same prayers over. 
So ultimately, these requests, God's people ended up as time wound on. They prayed not just for their physical king there, but they prayed looking forward to the Messiah who was to come, who would fulfill all the promises given to David and to God's people. But for us, well, we've seen God's true Messiah come. We've seen these prayers wonderfully answered. All of this reminds me of a scene in The Lord of the Rings. It's a scene when um, Saruman has taken Gandalf, the wizard, the good wizard, captive, and he's captive, put him in prison on the very top of his tower. And there, on the top of his tower, he cannot escape. But one day he, he manages to catch a moth in his hand as it flies by, and he whispers a message to the moth. You can't hear what he's saying. I'm imagining he's talking moth, but we don't know. But he communicates a message to the moth and then lets it go. And in the scene, you get the sense that he's pleading for rescue. But as time ticks on, you continue to wait for the rescue to come. At that moment of the day of the moth being released is a bit like what David lived in. And all of the people in the Old Testament, they lived in the day of the moth, waiting for the answer to come back, the rescue to be fulfilled. But we don't live in the day of the moth. We live in the next scene, a scene in which the great eagle arrives to rescue Gandalf from the tower, the one who has received the message from the moth, and Gandalf is gloriously rescued. Not save the king, but I suppose um, save the wizard is what's being answered there. And we live in the day of the eagle in which victory has not just been requested but been fulfilled as we see Jesus gloriously rescued. We live in the day of the eagle. What good news it is for us. And all of this should make us rejoice. Why? Because the fortunes of God's people are intimately bound up with the fortunes of their king. And if Jesus is victorious then in the midst of the battle we have hope because we can call out to him for strength and help for all that we need. If you're a believer today, where is your hope found? Your hope is found in the fact that Jesus has been saved, that he is the victorious king and all of these prayers have been answered for him. So rejoice that you know him. What security and hope is ours? But note the implicit warning that is here. If you end up walking away from the Lord Jesus and turning your back on him, you are denying yourself all security. As the hymn puts it, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Stick with Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're tuning in today as someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. It's great to have you here. But actually, can you see why trusting the Lord Jesus really, really matters? Because if he's God's promised king, who's all victorious, about whom all these prayers are answered, if you never put your faith in the Lord Jesus, at the end of time when he returns, you will be found on the losing side. You'll be found not safe before Jesus, but in grave danger, I'd urge you to put your faith in him. The prayer for God to save the king is supremely answered in the Lord Jesus, and that should cause us to rejoice. But 
That doesn't mean that this prayer is now extinct, written off the register of things that we can now pray. Actually, this prayer continues to be relevant for you and I. So having seen, first up, rejoice, God has answered these prayers. Secondly, we see this, pray. Pray that God will answer these prayers again. Pray that God will answer these prayers again. So while God has supremely answered these prayers in the Lord Jesus while he was here on earth and when he ascended to heaven, he has not answered these prayers exhaustively. How come? We need to understand that the connection between Christ and the church is one that could not be any tighter or closer. Uh, Sure enough, Christ is the king of his people and we are subjects of King Jesus. But we are not separate entities. Instead, we are bound together tightly by faith. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it describes Christians as being included in Christ when you heard the message of the gospel. There are pictures in the Bible that describe this intimate connection between Christ and his people, like a vine and its branches, or like a head and its body, or like a husband and his wife. Intimate connection. And this clear connection is vividly pictured when Saul, remember Saul from the book of Acts, is on his way to persecute more Christians, having locked up many in prison and killed others. He's going to put more into jail. And yet, as he's on his way to Damascus, he's stopped by the Lord Jesus, who says, loud and clear, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul wasn't attacking the physical Jesus in the flesh, but he was attacking Jesus' people. But Jesus, as he speaks to Saul, doesn't say, now, Saul, I've got a bone to pick with you. You're picking on my mates. No, he says, Saul, you're persecuting me. The connection between Jesus and the church is so tight that if you persecute a Christian, you persecute the Lord Jesus. So when the battle rages against a Christian, Jesus feels it too. What does this mean for the prayers in Psalm 20? Well, it means that if Christians are now the body of Jesus, joined up with Jesus, it means that we should still pray. Pray that God will answer these prayers again. So, in Jesus' own person, he has been granted victory. That's why he's ascended to heaven. But in his body, he continues to sense that he's in the battle. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this, Jesus' warfare is now accomplished in his own proper person, but in his body, the church, he, Jesus, is still beset with dangers, and only the eternal arm of our God can defend his people. That means that in the day of distress, that maybe you are feeling today, God's people need to pray in light of the fact that they are bound up with Jesus, that he is the head and they are the body. He is the vine and they are the branches. What might this mean in practice? 
Well, it means that we can pray verses 1 to 5 for the church, for God's people. And as we pray, we can leverage the fact that we are joined to Jesus intimately and truly, and that will give us boldness as we pray. So it may well mean that we end up praying something like this. Father, thank you that you have joined us to Jesus so that now we are part of his body. And because we're joined to Jesus, we are bold to pray. Pray that you might, like verse 1, answer our prayers in the day of trouble as you did for your son, that you might protect us from our foes as you protected your son from Satan, that you might send us help as you sent him help at the end of his temptation in the wilderness. And Father, we don't just pray this for our sake, we pray it for Jesus' sake. We're joined to him, part of his body. And so we pray these prayers so that Jesus would get the glory and his body would be protected. Amen. Such a prayer reminds us of God's promises and of his work of salvation in his son in the past. And as we pray that, don't please think that God has forgotten that until we pray it. But actually for him to hear God's people remembering and clinging on to the fact that they are joined to the Lord Jesus and are clinging to what Jesus has done in the past thrills God to hear us pray like that. It bends his ear ever closer. And actually, as we remember that we're joined to Jesus, and as we pray in light of that, it gives us a holy boldness to pray. You could picture a prayer like this, a bit like this. I want you to imagine in your mind there's a wife with young children whose, whose husband has gone away for a long time. Maybe he's gone to war. And during his absence, the wife ends up in dire straits, in grave need of financial help. And so she travels to visit her husband's parents, who were good and kind. And as she arrives and pleads for help, she pleads for help for her, but then she also pleads for help for the sake of her husband, who she's joined to. She's reminding his parents of his connection to them and her connection to him, and pleads on his behalf for her. It's not an inappropriate way of praying, but it's a little picture of us pleading on for Jesus' sake. Please hear my prayer, because I am joined to him. And that means that as we look at Psalm 20, as we scan down the prayers there in verses 1 to 5, we can appropriate those prayers for us too, because we are joined for Je to Jesus. So we can pray, verse 3, that God will remember Jesus' sacrifices because we're joined to him and we're just banking all we are on him. That God would answer our prayers as we pray in Jesus' name because we're joined to him and we're striving to pray in a line that pleases him. As we pray in his name, we're pleading what Jesus would want to pray. So we should be people who pray that God will answer these prayers again. And maybe you sense you really need to do that. Because today just feels like a battle. Today feels like distress. Let me urge you to pray with faith. That's no guarantee that God will answer in the way that you or I might want him to. But we can trust that he will answer in a way that is best. 
and that our blessing is certain because he supremely answered these prayers in his son. So we've seen so far two things. First up, rejoice. God has answered these prayers. Secondly, pray. God will answer these prayers again. Thirdly, keep trusting in the Lord our God. Keep trusting in the Lord our God. Psalm 20 encourages us to rejoice. It encourages us to pray. But it doesn't end without warning us that we could very easily misplace our trust. And it urges us to put our faith in the name of the Lord our God. Look at verse 7 with me. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. As in David's day, so today, there are many impressive things in our world that can be objects of our trust, things on which we depend. For King David, as a military man, chariots and horses could be the thing that he would bank all of his military victories on. It's a temptation for him. But here, this, this verse says that while some trust in chariots and some in horses, we trust in the Lord. David lived that out for much of his life. But today, chariots and horses have never been much of a draw for me. I don't know whether you have a weak spot for them, that you're likely to trust in them. Much more, you're likely to be people who trust in your, your gifts or your abilities or your money, possessions and pension. Or you might trust in your reputation and your upbringing. Or trust in your job and your responsibilities, your health care and the medical care you receive. Um, maybe you trust in political leaders or your friends and family. It's not that all, any of these things are not to be things that help us. They are good and helpful things to us, but they are never to be the place where we put all of our trust. We're not to bank on these things. Instead, we're to be grateful for these good things that God gives us. But above all, we are to trust him. What does it say? But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The reference there, name, is to talk of God's character, all that he is. We trust in the name, in the character of God, who has sent his son to die for us, who has promised that Jesus is returning. And daily, daily, we need to commit to follow God and to put all our trust in the Lord. Because if we do, well, verse 8 will be true that while others might fall down, we will rise up and stand firm if we trust in the Lord. I'd encourage you this week to make verse 7 a memory verse. To try and commit this to memory. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. A great thing to remember at the beginning of a day, before you read your Bible, before you pray, that say, I'm going to trust in the Lord, whatever other people might trust. And if we do that in the week that lies ahead, as we bank all that we are on God, depending on him for help in the midst of battle, in the midst of trial, or even in the midst of joy and plenty, do you know what? As we trust in him, it will cash out in greater rejoicing that Jesus is the victorious king, and it will cash out in more earnest praying for God's protection for us through the battles that life 
brings our way. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. May that be the motto for the week ahead for each of us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the way that this psalm points us to Christ and gives us joy that these prayers have been answered for him. Thank you that he is the victorious king. Thank you that we have immense security because he has been granted the victory. That his sacrifice has been accepted, that he has risen to new life and is seated now in heaven. What security is ours? How we thank you. And we thank you too that this psalm encourages us to pray because it reminds us that we are joined to Christ and therefore he gladly hears our prayers and bids us talk to you. How we thank and praise you for these things. And Father, seeing these things, might it urge us to be people who put our trust in you, not in anything else this world could provide. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to respond to what we've seen in this psalm by singing. And we're going to sing a song that I referred to in my talk. It's called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, but Jesus Christ and His Righteousness. Um, the, the words will come up on the screen. would urge you to sing along if you can, but if you'd like just to look and listen, then you can do that too.
Well, before we conclude our service, just a few notices to draw to your attention. The first is to mention that our Holiday Bible Club is coming up this week. It starts on Tuesday, runs Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Each morning it begins at 9am. It will be premiered on YouTube, so like um, our services do on a Sunday morning, it'll play from 9 o'clock. We'd urge you to be there in time. I know a number of you have got your craft packs. We hope and pray that this is a great week for you. If you've not heard about Holiday Bible Club, we'd love you still to tune in. You just need to go to our church YouTube channel where you'll find out all that you need to know there and find the episodes as they come up. Um, And please do still use the opportunities to encourage people to tune in. Even if you've not had a chance to invite some folk, you could still got time to do that, um, even if we're not able to send them a craft pack as we'd have loved to. That's Holiday Bible Club this week, and can I please urge you to keep praying for that. It was great to pray for it this week at our prayer meeting. Please, every day, can I urge you to be praying for it. And boys and girls, know that we'll be praying for you particularly. You'd have a great time as you tune in each and every day. Other things for the week ahead. We'll start with what's happening later today. At 6.30 this evening, we have our next prayer meeting, which is happening on Zoom. And we'd love you to join us then as we make time to pray for Sudbourne and Tunstall Baptist Church, a church that we partner with. We'll be hearing from Dave Rushbrook, the pastor there, finding out how we can pray for them. We'll be praying for one or two other things too at that prayer meeting. Wednesday, just for your information and for your prayers, the identity course continues. That's still being well attended. Peter, our assistant pastor, continues to run that. Please be praying as people come that they might continue to learn of Jesus and put their faith in him. Then Thursday, we have our next prayer meeting. That's at 7.30 on Zoom again. um, And we're going to be particularly praying ahead of restarting our services in the church building for us physically gathering at that prayer meeting. Do join us if you can. Then on to next Sunday. Next Sunday is the Holiday Bible Club finale all-age service. Again, it will be here on our YouTube channel. It starts at 10.30 on Sunday morning. We'd love you to come then. And it will give us everyone a bit of a flavour of what's been going on at Holiday Bible Club if you haven't managed to tune in during the week. And then next Sunday, we have another prayer meeting at 6.30 and we'd love you to be joining us then as we pray for another church nearby. A final thing simply to say is a bit of advance warning, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we will be recommencing meeting physically in the church building come the 6th of September, Sunday the 6th of September, that's two Sundays time. We'll again be having two services, one at 9.15, one at 11.15, and for all those that are able to meet us in the building, we'd love to see you then. But until then, we'll see you next week um, for our Sunday service on YouTube. We're going to close with a prayer from the Bible. This is what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.